Well, good morning. It's glad to be back. Although I will say, Thursday night when we landed in Spokane, I started looking at the board wondering, where's the return trip to Maui? Because when we got off the airplane in Spokane, I think it was a whopping five degrees. And, and I had determined to just wear shorts the whole way. And so... Uh, even on the way home, until we got off the airplane, then I was looking for my suitcase. Anyway, we had a great time. Thank you for those who were praying for us, and uh, it was a great opportunity to get away and uh, recharge our batteries. In fact, that's the number one question I've gotten this morning. Are your batteries recharged? I said, I don't know. Push the button on the back of me. See if it lights up green, you know. I think so. I don't know. I got... Uh, Got a little bit of sun on my arms and um, maybe a little on my legs, but uh, we had a great time down there. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to go, and uh, of course Josh and Shauna and always are so gracious to to have us down there. And it was a lot of fun, and it was a. I mean, we had a lot of people there actually when we got there because, and we can be praying for. I'll kind of incorporate a prayer request into all this. Luke and Rochelle are are uh, Denver, right? They're stuck in Denver. They were actually supposed to fly home the day after us, and all of their flights got mixed up too, not because of the storms in the U.S., but because of things there in the islands. And um, Anyway, but they're on their way home too, and, but uh, we had a great time, and uh, some great ministry opportunities actually cropped up while we were there, and I'll get into that another time. Um, but it was good to recharge our batteries. It's great to have Morgan home and uh, Kathy um, one of Morgan's team teammates um, there in India, and I won't get too much into that. Maybe we'll give Morgan an opportunity in the next week or two to share a few things, but uh, we're glad that uh, you guys actually had uh, some stormy weather too flying in, and, and uh, they spent a lot more time in an airplane than we did for sure getting home, but it's great to have them here. We are, uh, I'm going to dive right back into the Gospel of Mark. I appreciate Ramon who spoke two weeks ago and Les who spoke and filled in last week. appreciate uh, those men uh, bringing the Word of God here at the pulpit at New Life Christian Center. And, uh, and I want to return. I've been looking at this passage now for actually a couple of weeks and, and uh, excited to get back into the Gospel of Mark. As I've said, just a little bit of a, a catch-up just briefly is, is that the Gospel of Mark is kind of this fast-paced, hard-hitting. Uh, John Mark is writing down, you know, Peter's account of the things that happened, and so he was, he was a protege of Peter, and uh, he's writing these things down, and, and uh, you really see Peter's personality come out in this Gospel, where it's, it's quick-paced, um, I don't know how many times, you know, dozens of times it says, and then immediately, and then immediately. And so it's, it's, it's quick in that sense. It's hard-hitting. It's right to the facts. And uh, chapter 7 is uh, a great example of, of that explanation. Let's dive right in. Let's get right to the Word of God in the time that we have here today. Mark chapter 7, I'll read the first 23 verses, says this. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together with him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with, def- <coughs> with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, 
they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then, <clears throat> then the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you, wa- you hold to the tradition of men, the watching of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is Corban, that is a gift from God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down and many such things you do. When he had called all the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand There is nothing that enters a man from the outset which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles, what comes out of a man that defiles a man, from within, out of the heart of men, perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent Jesus uh, to proclaim your truths. Father, to rescue mankind. We thank you, Lord, that you, that you came to uh, redeem us and recover us from ourselves mostly. Recover us from the sin nature that we inherited and the sins that we committed on purpose. As we open your word, Father, we just pray that your word would speak to us, that it's not about me, Lord, it's it's about you and what your word says. So we do, we ask that you would just speak to us through your Holy Spirit and through your scriptures, which are always in harmony. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a few principles that that, that we're going to look at here and, and really this whole passage and really this whole chapter, and so this is kind of part A and next week is kind of part B in this main point. Uh, because I think that we, we really have to, to understand who Jesus is and how he interacts with people. We really have to be able to wrestle and understand this main principle down 
and that is this. Is Jesus worked by this method. We see it in all four Gospels. He worked by this method and in this way. That hard hearts he confronted and soft hearts he comforted. Jesus, if you look at just, if you just read through all four Gospels, you will see that principle just pop up time and time again. And it pops up again here in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark. That hard hearts are confronted. Those that were trying to trick him, those that were trying to trap him, we saw that right there in verse 1 and 2. The Pharisees, they're coming now all the way from Jerusalem to get an eye on this guy and try to figure out some which way trying to figure out some which way that they can snare this new rabbi, that they can quench this new movement that was going on mostly in Galilee, that they could could kind of get a hold of it and they could neutralize who Jesus is and neutralize his ministry. And so where do they go? They go to the law. But they didn't go just specifically to the law. They went to, in this passage, they went to their traditions. And Jesus meets them with the law. He always takes hard hearts and he confronts them. And he confronts them with the word of God. Now, in a group of any size, you're going to have those that have hard hearts. And you're going to have those that have soft hearts. You're going to have those that need to be confronted. And those that need to be comforted. And we can all say, if we're really honest and transparent and just, you know, jump right into the meat here, that almost all of us have been on both sides of that equation. There's been times where I've, where my heart was just rock hard. And I needed to be confronted with things going on in my life. And there's been times where my heart's been broken. where Where I was laid out flat before the Lord, just couldn't take another step. And God came in, Jesus came in to comfort me. And you know that that ministry is true. And you know that that work of God is true in your life. And so, write that down if you want to. Highlight it. Uh, For some time now, this Jewish leadership has been frustrated with Jesus. They've been frustrated with this upstart rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and all that he was doing. I want to give you just a little bit of a background. This is kind of about the most uh, 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 follow-up from previous chapters. But there's two places specifically where it shows up that they were frustrated. One is in Mark chapter 2. They were frustrated with Jesus because, in their opinion, his disciples didn't uh, fast the way that they should. Jewish tradition. And they didn't follow the traditions of the Sabbath, it says there in chapter 2 of Mark. So they were frustrated, and they come to confront him in that regard. Turn a chapter to Mark chapter 3. Jesus was closely watched by the Pharisees to see if he would then heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus asked him this question. You don't have to turn there. Maybe it's on the board. But Jesus asked him this question in Mark chapter 3, verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? save a life or to kill he, he 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 confronts them these are all confrontations that have happened that we've already studied through and so he confronts them with the reality of where things are is it better to do good or to do evil it's better to save a life or to kill a life and then you know what the reply was crickets <laughs> it was nothing they didn't say a word 
And Jesus was both grieved and angry at the same time. Why? It says there their hearts were hard. The hardness of their heart, they were more focused on their extra traditions, traditions than on this fellow being healed there in Mark chapter 3. So in essence, they put rules over restoration. They put these extra, and I, and I want to be careful to always use, because there are rules in the Old Testament, hundreds of them. Jesus never broke a one, not one time. And it wasn't the, that that he was frustrated with them about. It wasn't that that he was angry about. It was all of the things that they had added on where they put these extra rules over the restoration of this fellow's hand. In Mark 3, they were so focused on these extra rules, so frustrated with Jesus, it says there in verse 6, just two verses later from what we just read, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, <clears throat> if you don't know who the Herodians are, they are generally, and they had been generally, the enemies of the Pharisees. And so you know by, by the fact that you have arch rivals now banning together to go after somebody else. You know how in, in, intense they are. You know how important this is to them that they squish Jesus and his ministry. That they, as the word says, might destroy him. Mark 7 is more of the same. Look again in verse 1 there of Mark 7 where it says the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him. I have that highlighted in my notes. Having come from Jerusalem, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. I will say this from the outset. And I think it's something that we all as Christ followers have to grapple with. That there are people out there looking to find fault with us. There, there are people in the world, religious or not, that are looking to find some issue with you. We better wrestle that down, ladies and gentlemen. We, we better come to understand that this is a normal part of life. That there's people out there that, that they want to say, Aha, uh-huh, i seen that guy. You know, now he's acting different. You know, or, or they want to catch you up in something. They want to trap you. And I'm here to say, you don't have to stress about being trapped. It's kind of like just like my dear old dad always said. He says, you tell the truth, you only have to remember one story. Right? You tell a lie, then you've got to tell another lie to cover that one, another one to cover this one. You got, if you just tell the truth, you only have one thing to remember. You only have one story that you have to probably keep repeating. The same is true here. We don't have to stress about being trapped. Our call is to live an authentic life in Christ which means that we're real, which means that as Christ followers, we're transparent. If you're looking to fall in, look into for fault in Jesus' followers, it's not hard to find. These leaders then were on a mission to destroy Jesus by any means possible to try to discredit Jesus and or his followers that was really the easiest and the least risky way to get what they wanted. If they can just discredit him based upon something that, 
that he or his disciples were doing, then the onus was all on them, was all on Jesus and his disciples. And so that, that was their play. That was their move here in Mark chapter 7, to try to just find something, and then, then you know, you get a little word going, hey, 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 do you hear about that Jesus guy and his followers? They don't even, they don't even wash their hands before they eat. <gasps> oh, no. We, we, well, well, that's not biblical. And you guys know how rumors work. We live in Stevens County. There's not a lot of people here. Most people are related to one another. Most families are related multiple times. Don't take offense to that. And if you're relatively new to Stevens County, you might be thinking, I didn't know that about Stevens County. The reality is is that word spreads fast. Word spreads fast, and word would spread fast in the first century. And these guys were looking for any piece of leverage, any handle that they could grab onto and accuse Jesus of something, something that was off, something that was wrong. And then they would take that and they would let it run. They would let it ride. And in their eyes, Jesus and his followers would then destroy their, their own ministry. Obviously, we know at the end of the story that that didn't happen. But their hearts were in the same condition that they were in chapter 3. Their hearts were hard, and hard hearts need confronted, and soft hearts need comforted. Next week, we'll actually get into the soft hearts that need comforted. But today's passage here is mostly about the first half of, uh, of this principle. Remember, there's something that we need to really remember as we go through the Gospel of Mark. And it's really true here because here in chapter 7, you see a lot of, of explanation and detail start to come out. And the reason for that is Mark was writing to a largely Gentile audience about a Jewish uh, storyline. He was, he was writing large, not, not solely, but largely to a Gentile audience. So he took a lot of extra time to explain, you know, all of the washing of cups and hands and, you know, all of the, the details of the Jewish traditions of which the Gentiles wouldn't know anything about. He, he threads that into the storyline time and time again. Mark chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, this is an example of that, they do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things in which they've received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels. Verses 3 and 4 is kind of an explanation of that thing that we should be remembering. The issues for the Pharisees crops up in verse 5. Mark 7, 5 says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes, they get right to it, asking him the question, asking Jesus the question, Why do your disciples not walk according to to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Why are you doing this? They thought it was uh, egregious enough of a, a trespass of the traditions that they just shot right out to Jesus. Why are you guys doing this? What's, what's going on here? 
You know, and, I, and as I've been kind of studying this through, and you guys, most of you guys know, maybe some of you don't know, I'm a farmer by trade. You know how many lunches that I've had with dirty hands? <laughs> right? Like you don't get an option. If you're a logger, farmer, if you do something out, construction worker, you don't always have some water there to wash your hands with. You just like have to take it in faith. All right, maybe this grease will do me a little good. Right? Maybe a little 1040 on my sandwich. You know, make that bread slide down a little easier. But you don't always have that option. And now these guys in that first century, they're, they're kind of taking that option, if you will. They didn't go through all the ceremonial washing. And this is an elaborate thing. I don't have time to get all, into all of it. But it was, it was based on what Moses had told the priesthood to do. Not the, the, the average Jewish citizen. But they had taken that and they had expanded and they'd put this rule on it and that rule and they'd stacked up all these traditions and rules and, they'd, and they were, if you will, they were really emphasizing these traditions and the way that they were emphasizing them, the Pharisees, in the Pharisees' eyes, these traditions were on par with the scriptures. In other words, these oral traditions that were add-ons or interpretations. Some of them were add-ons. Some were how that they had interpreted the old-fashioned scripture or the Old Testament scriptures. Were authoritative in their eyes. They they were putting these traditions equal on equal billing and equal authority with the law of Moses. In their eyes. And I want to say this also that not all traditions are bad. Actually, I was thinking about this last night. I was just getting ready for bed. Not all traditions are bad. We have lots of traditions. Uh, the the church is we have, you know we have tons of traditions in the church, and and some churches have other traditions than others. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility, I believe, in the church in that regard. So, but how do we know which is which? How do we know? Which ones uh, perhaps have become authoritative on equal footing with the scriptures and which ones haven't? Here's a good set of questions to ask. Do these traditions supersede or replace the Bible in importance, in emphasis, or in practice? It's really important that you have those two words in the question. Does this tradition, whatever it is, uh, let's use communion, for example. Does communion, does it supersede or replace the Bible in importance, emphasis, or practice? Well, we're pretty clear uh, both on what Jesus taught us and what, and what the Apostle Paul taught us about communion in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 12, about communion. What about other traditions that the church carries on? Does it supersede or replace. That's the key. And these traditions for these guys were superseding and perhaps, and maybe not replacing, but they were superseding the law of Moses in importance, emphasis, in practice. And if so, if so, then there's a shift from God's word onto men's ways. That's what was going on. So Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He calls out their real issue. For them, their issue was the fact that him and his guys weren't holding to these certain sets of traditions. In Jesus' mind, the real issue was not that. The real issue was hypocrisy. 
He calls out the real issue, hypocrisy. Uh, here's a good definition of hypocrisy. When the outward appearance and message is not matched with an inward reality. That's what hypocrisy is for the Christ follower. When an outward appearance or a message is not matched with what's really going on in a person's life. That's hypocrisy. So if I'm up here saying something, preaching something, if I'm living in a certain way externally for everybody to see, but behind closed doors I'm a totally different person, or you're a totally different person, you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. I won't, I won't pin this on you guys. I'll use myself as an example. I would be hypocritical in whatever I was doing or whatever I was saying. Because there's an outward appearance there's a message that I'm trying to put out there that is not real in my own life. And Isaiah deals with, really, he deals with hypocrisy from the get-go. There's a great passage there in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I'll read it for you. But Isaiah here is proclaiming that God is weary of the hypocrisy in Israel. Uh, the, really, the whole chapter, he fires off with a big canon from verse 1, but I'll skip down to verse 12 where he says, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Other translations, maybe your translation says worthless. God's saying, don't, 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 bring, don't come in and trample my house with your worthless sacrifices. Not at all. It says, incense is an abomination to me the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. God, through Isaiah, is calling out the hypocrisy in Israel, saying, saying these things can't happen. You're living one way, yet you show up at the tabernacle doing something else. You show up at the temple doing something else. It can't be. And the hardness of heart that Isaiah was dealing with, Jesus was dealing with the same thing 600 years later. Isn't that crazy? Like 600 years, you'd think they would have got it. Well, all these years later, I wonder sometimes if we got it, if I got it. There's four examples here in this passage, four examples of this hypocrisy, of, of this religious hypocrisy that is defined by these hard hearts. The first one is there in verse 6. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. The first one is, is that it's only skin deep. So Jesus is quoting Isaiah here when he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a, uh, that's a, a, a reality that what you truly believe or, or how you're living, it, it's only skin deep. It's only skin deep. It's, it's lip service, if you will. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The second example is, is that it's man-made there in verse 7. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of God. So they take these man-made, these add-ons, these uh, uh, extra things, on how people should behave, how, what people should do, how they should wash their hands, how they should prepare themselves to eat. And they add them on as commandments of men. And then they abandon and reject God's commandments. And I'm kind of working through the passage, but that's in verses 8 and 9 of Mark chapter 7. 
in verse 8 says, For laying aside the commandments of God, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you hold the traditions of men. So they lay them aside. Then he ramps it up in his next statement. He says in verse 9, he says to them, And all too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your traditions. So they abandon and they reject God's commandments in their original intent. In the original intent, as I said earlier, all of what these Pharisees were trying to put on Jesus and his disciples were all originally designed for a very specific purpose in the priesthood. The fourth thing is, is then they draw people into dishonoring their family, their parents. In verse 10 through 12 says you, Jesus is speaking, I'll just give you the highlights. The point is, is to honor your father and your mother. And then whatever profit you may have received, this is kind of the teaching of the elders there. Whichever profit you may receive from me is Corbin, that is a gift from God. Then you no longer, with that, essentially they turn, uh, if you will, they turn people away from their parents, saying, hey, you know, if, if, whatever a young guy would do for his parents, that his parents should see that just as a gift from God. And then the, the leadership then would take and restrict these young people from doing more. And so basically in the long run, dishonor his father and his mother. The traditions that had become such a big deal were in reality counterproductive to the kingdom of God. These traditions that had become such as this huge thing in Israel in that first century really had become counterproductive. And so Jesus is hitting this thing head on. He's confronting these hard hearts. He's confronting these traditions that, that work in a counterproductive way to the kingdom of God. You know, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 says, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's kind of the famous statement in uh, 1 Samuel 16 where they're, where they're you know, trying to figure out a new king for Israel and all of that. But that's really the basis and the principle by which Jesus is speaking here. Why is the heart so important? Why is it that, that time and time again, and you show up here on a Sunday, or you meet on a Thursday or Tuesday night for Bible study, maybe you come Monday, Wednesday, help with Awana, and all the time the conversation is about our hearts. Why is that? It's obviously a huge thing to God. Obviously a huge thing to God. See, in the context of this first century, what we, don't, what we miss by reading it now 2,000 years later is that for the first century Jew to hear this principle that Jesus was bringing out, it was really pretty revolutionary. These guys had never heard anything of the sort. When Jesus says this, there's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. Can you imagine being one of his disciples and hearing that? Can you imagine being in the crowd and hearing that for the very first time in your life? What? That there's nothing from the outside that can defile me? I'd, mouths were wide open. Eyes were like this. Are you kidding me? Everything we've ever been taught is exactly the opposite. Jesus goes on to say, but the things which come out of him those are the things that defile a man. And then his famous tagline, we see throughout the Bible, 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus, that's an invitation. It's not a statement. It's an invitation. Hey, guess what? If your ears are open to hear what I'm saying, I'm going to teach you a a kingdom principle that's going to just blow you away. And it's totally different than anything you've ever been raised with. Totally different than anything you've ever heard. But if you have an ear to hear what I'm saying, then hear it. It's a big statement. It's a big calling. It's a big invitation. And Jesus is, in a sense, redefining what defilement really is. He's redefining it for his followers. He's redefining it for the crowd. And he's saying, hey, it's not about how clean your hands are. It's not about going through all of these little hoops. Hey, can I just insert, kids, if you're like, it's good that you wash your hands before you eat. (laughs) I'm not saying that you should eat with dirty hands on purpose. But it's not about that. It's not about that. It's not about the ceremonial washing It's not about adhering to these traditions and rules that are beyond the scope of the Word of God. It's not about whether we're, it is about whether we're clean or dirty on the inside. It is about the condition of our hearts. And I've said many times, God works on us from the inside out. And that was the point that Jesus was trying to get across to these folks. That was the point that He was trying to bring to the table. Is it's not about all of the, the, the washing and, the, and, the, and the, all of the hoops to jump through. It's the fact that God works from the inside out in our lives. He starts with the heart. That's why the defilement that's really the most important is not what's on the outside. It's the defilement that happens on the inside. And we get hung up on the outside. I read this story about this uh, first century uh, Pharisee, I guess, that was taken, ended up in jail, in the Roman jail, and uh, he was given just a certain amount of food and a certain amount of water once a day. That was it. And the guy almost died of thirst. Why? Because he would not drink the water, and it was just enough water to barely wash, and then he would eat, but he had no water to drink. He was that hung up on the traditions. Verse 20 says, and he said, what comes out of a man, it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Don't get hung up on the list as much as the effects of that list. They're really summarized in verse 23. All these evil things come from within. And that's what defiles a man. Really, in a way, Jesus is taking them back to Genesis. He's taking them back to Genesis where the real issues are heart issues. In Genesis, I'll give you an example. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Anger is a heart issue. It can become a, a physical issue. <laughs> For those of us that have bad anger issues or have had, you know that that's true. But anger is a hard issue. The Lord says to Cain, why are, why, why are you angry? Okay, 
Here's another question. Why has your countenance fallen, Cain? Why, why are you angry? Why do you have a heart issue? Why has your countenance fallen, a heart issue? God's dealing with heart issues right from the get-go. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, he says. Sin's desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should rule over it. The great theologian Barclay says this, every outward act of sin is preceded by an inward act of choice. Therefore, Jesus begins with the evil thought from which the evil action comes. The Pharisees were trying to work on heart issues from the outside in. And if, and if the people of the first century are no different than we are here in the 21st century, uh, we're, we, many of us, and I probably stand at the beginning of the line, have kind of granite heads and sometimes granite hearts. And they're trying to chip away on all the external things, trying to change behaviors from the outside in, where God says through Jesus through this passage, hey, I, I'm working from the inside out. I'm going to change you from the inside out. The real issues are not whether, you know, how good you are with a basin of water. The real issues are is how clean is your heart? What's your heart status? This can be applied in a lot of different ways. I, I love talking about these types of issues with young parents because that's the essence of parenting. It's not just behavior modification. God doesn't just parent us as his followers in behavior modification. God parents us, and we should parent our kids from the inside out. How's your heart today? What have you been thinking about? What have you been reading? What have you been looking at? How's your relationship with your friends? Did anybody offend you or hurt you today? Let's talk about it. Let's work through these things. That's good parenting. Guess what? That's how God works with his people. When he comes to you and says, hey, you know, 51-year-old, son of mine, how's your heart today? What about that thing that was said that you got offended and didn't say anything? What about when you, uh, you know, got cut off cruising to town? What about that little piece of anger that's in your heart right there over that, thinking, I'm going to... What's that in the license plate number? You know, what about those things? And that's how God parents us from the inside out. He's done that all the way through. I'll repeat that quote from Barclay. Every outward act of sin is preceded by an inward act of choice. Therefore, Jesus begins with the evil thought from which that evil action comes. We're called by the word of God to submit every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's how you nip that in the bud. When you're tempted, fellas, when you're tempted in areas that men are only tempted in, how do you deal with that? You nip it in the bud by submitting it to God in the moment. Not after the fact. Not with the idea knowingly at the time that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission which often we often run with, right, fellas? It's like, eh, 
no big deal. Yeah, it becomes a big deal when it goes, thought becomes unsubmitted. Because those thoughts then, in reality, turn into action. Jesus is addressing the baseline issues here for all of mankind. It's really the baseline issues of our sin nature. And his solution for that, his solution for our sin nature was to die on the cross, to be buried the third day, to pay for our sins, and, and to uh, prove that to be true and to prove himself to be true and to prove all that was said about him and all that he said about himself to be true by walking out of that grave on the third day. That's how we know it's true. His solution was to provide payment for our sins than to give us the Holy Spirit and a whole new nature. A whole new nature. See, these Pharisees were just trying to control and, and guide. And, and by the way, I don't think they necessarily had uh, evil intent. I'm just going to insert this as just my thoughts. I don't think their thoughts to, in, in how they went about you know, interpreting the Old Testament, I don't think that there was necessarily evil intent with all of that. And oftentimes that's the way traditions go. It's not necessarily bore out of evil intent. But it becomes so burdensome in the long run. And that's the problem with these traditions that are extra biblical, is they are burdensome. They lay a weight on people that they just can't bear. But I don't think there's necessarily any evil intent. But it wasn't dealing with one thing. It wasn't dealing with the way Jesus come to deal with, and that is to give his people a new nature, new spiritual DNA that teaches us to follow God's commands, and that is to simply love God and love one another. It's all winnowed down to those two things. Whatever thought that's in your head, or, or, or you can take this throughout, the, throughout this week as a little piece of application, that when something starts to rile you, when something starts to get under your skin, when you're tempted in one direction or another, take that thought captive and ask yourself this question. If I turn this thought into action, is it going to love God and is it going to love other people or not? That's the easiest way. That's the easiest way, the most straightforward way to discern where that thought's coming from. And so if it's loving, hey, we had an opportunity this last week to go serve, and uh, it was kind of, I know there's those that serve, mom serves, there's other people that serve at the Addy Rescue Mission here, right here in town. And so the part that we were able to get in on was, the, was not necessarily the uh, handing it out right to the people that are gonna consume the food, but it was more of like a distribution spot where, uh, I mean, there was just truckloads and truckloads of pallets of food. I don't know. I, there was at least two semi-loads full of food. And, and uh, where they had it all kind of lined out in a sem- big semi-circle. And once everything was accounted for, and they knew how much was going to each, each spot from there, then what they did is they had vehicles line up, and they had, you know, this list on their window of you know, how many boxes of pineapples, how many boxes of carrots, how many bags of onions. And so we got in on all of this. Uh, they needed volunteers. And the lady said, you know, she, she was just about nearly in tears, wasn't she? 
that we were there because it's normally about three, four people. I'm telling you, they had like 50 ton of produce. I can't fathom four people doing all that we did. We were there for three hours. And uh, it was such a blessing. And, and this lady, one of the ladies was visiting, I was visiting with her, she goes, you know, she said, I, I'm so glad that you guys come to help us out. And I was like, hey, no problem, you know, I'm kind of along for the ride. It really was Josh and Shauna was the ones that volunteered us before we got there, but, but that's all right, you know, whatever. And uh, she made a statement, she says, uh, she says, the love that gets poured out here continues to be poured out. And I thought about this passage, and I thought about this principle of loving God and loving one another. Like, that's where, I'm just, and it's not about me. Like, whatever, we were just throwing produce. It was fun. But the reality was is that the people on the, the, the far end of this thing, that's where the love shows up. That's where, that's where they understand a blessing. That's where there's opportunity to minister. Guess what? Almost every place where this food was distributed was not some, some, it was in churches. This food was distributed out to the churches. Then the people would come to church, essentially, and be blessed. And I got a chance to talk to one of the brand new pastors there in Molokai. His name's Byron, Brian or Byron? Yeah, with the longer beard. Man, and he was just so excited. He just moved there uh, from a different from the Big Island, and so excited to be a part of this ministry. So excited to be be uh, find avenues and to explore avenues on the island to bless people. Hey, it's it's a there's places on Molokai that man alive make Stevens County look like the Taj Mahal. Like there's places there that are super poor. There's a lot of there's a lot of pain and a lot of agony. And there's a lot of heartache. You can drive around. There's, there's parts of the island. I mean, the island itself is beautiful, obviously. There's parts of it that's fu- fantastic. We went to the hotel and ate. We, you know, walked around the, the condos that were three or four miles away. I mean, it's gorgeous, you know. But you get into deeper parts of that community, and there's a lot of pain and heartache, a lot of drug abuse, a lot of abuse in general, neglect. We're loving God and loving one another? Are we more stressed out about the traditions that, that have been handed down that we just blindfully follow and miss the kingdom message? That we miss Jesus in it all? The worship team wants to come on up. We'll close with our last song. I encourage you this week to reread and actually if you want to you can get ahead you can read you know from verse 24 to the end of the chapter verse mark 7 because next week we're going to see the other side of the equation we've seen jesus confront these guys we've seen him confront their hard-heartedness this next week we're going to see him comfort those with soft hearts those that are hurting those that are stuck in a tough place. Would you rise with us as we worship in our last song?